Alright, welcome to the Nerd and Normie podcast. I'm a big film nerd, Everett. And I'm Emerald, and I'm dating a nerd. Alright, on this week's episode, we are going to be talking about two different horror movies. Bo is Afraid, written and directed by Ari Aster. And Evil Dead Rise, directed by Lee Cronin. For both of these movies, we'll start with non-spoilers and then jump into spoilers for them. Time codes will be in the description of the episode if you want to jump around. All right, let's get into it. Hi, Carrot. It's Mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel, and I love you. Okay. I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Bo is Afraid is written and directed by Ari Aster and stars Joaquin Phoenix in the lead role as Bo. Uh, it's a surrealist, black, tragicomedy horror film, as Wikipedia describes it. And I think it's all of that and plenty more. Well, I wouldn't really say horror. It's not... It's not scary. It's dark, but it's not scary. If you had just called this like a black comedy tragedy i would have been more on board i i really don't think it's a horror movie yeah i would agree with that i don't think it's scary or classifies as horror at all yeah um this is going to be a hard movie to talk about in the non-spoilers portion uh it's a weird ride it's long it's a uh, three hours runtime uh which it does feel bloated um it does very much feel like, oh, Ari Aster, you had two very acclaimed movies in a row. We'll just let you do whatever. Um, and it feels a little bit like he's just having a live therapy session that lasts three hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I will say, though, is it has some stunning visuals. It has some really cool world building um and joaquin phoenix is spectacular in the lead i think he gives some really really good moments to this character well i think pretty much every part is played very well like amy ryan and uh nathan lane i think they're played very well i think pretty much every character is played very well yeah i think that goes across the board and um is a kind of a trademark of an ari aster horror film is a dark twisted tale that has brilliant performances from all of the characters with particular standouts from his leads with Tony Collette, Florence Pugh, and now Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and you may say that's just because they're all incredible actors, which does help. Um, this movie is very much rooted in more like a classical odyssey type adventure there's a lot of parallels with the odyssey and oedipus and those classic greek tragedies and adventures and stuff um and i think if sigmund freud wrote oedipus and the odyssey this is what he would have written yeah i i guess i didn't really understand what was happening for most of this movie but i'm also not too keen on very metaphor heavy movies yeah it's it's very much not to be taken at face value i don't think um and is very much the the type of film where uh it delves into the absurd world in order to 
talk about what it wants to talk about rather than follow a plot and let that dictate where the film goes. It will just throw curveballs, add adventures, have something happen just to push the character to a place that Ari Aster wanted to take them. I really don't even know what to say in a (laughs) non-spoiler part of this section. Besides, yeah, he's he's afraid. (laughs) Yeah, um... Another thing about this movie is it was actually really funny. In certain parts. In certain parts. It's it's a dark comedy, and it's it's not like, ha-ha, jokes funny, but it has some morbid, amusing moments, and it, it does have some, like, sight gags and some funny bits. Yeah, our audience was laughing out loud for a lot of it. Yeah, which I was, I was really surprised. Often with these types of movies, I'm the one laughing, and <laughs> everyone's like, I don't get it, or that's just weird. Uh, but it seemed like our audience was on board for it. So it was, it was working uh, a bit more than a lot of these types of comedies that I like. I guess the last thing we'll, we'll kind of say here and move right on into spoilers is just go in with a open mind and a fair bit of warning. This is not going to be for everyone. It's not a scary movie. It's not scary. It's very, it's almost um, Charlie Kaufman esque with like, uh, I'm thinking of ending things and Synecdoche, New York, and his type of films like that, where it's a kind of a grand adventure of absurd events. And you're never going to know how we got from point A to point, I, I wouldn't even say point B, point Z, because they're so far apart from the beginning to the end of the movie. Yeah. And for me, I think that really worked. For me, I the when we went out of it, I didn't mind it so much. But looking back, I literally don't know what happened. <laughs> and I was a bit more the other way. I went out of it like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know if that quite landed for me. But the more I've sat with it, the more I've enjoyed it. But to be fair, every weird movie we've gone to, he said the same thing. That is usually how it goes. These types of films take (laughs) a little bit of time for you to kind of piece together and think back on on what happened. Except for men. For me, men, Mm. after sitting with it, I liked it better and he hated it more and more. So, (laughs) yeah, it's and it has a little bit of men to it. Yeah. In a sense, I would put them in the same genre. They were advertised as horror and they're just odd yeah yep all right well that will conclude our non-spoiler talk on Bo is afraid so skip ahead now to hear uh, our thoughts on evil dead rise but we will now move into spoilers uh graphic content warning on this film in terms of uh male genitalia from start to finish yeah i mean that the language, there's violence, there's, but nudity's probably the, the worst part of it. Yeah, there's, and I was, I mean, this is the part we got to talk about first, because it's probably what everybody's talking about coming out of the film. Um, the the kind of third act twist reveal situation is a, a giant penis in an attic with arms and a face uh it's like 12 feet tall or something and it's apparently Bo's father i mean it's a weird metaphor for your dad being a giant dick but like 
I didn't need to see it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's not necessarily so much that. I got more it's what the what the mother kind of views him as is this monster who only has one thing to offer her because she wanted a son. And so she Well, apparently two sons. Well, yes, cuz he has a a twin brother who gets locked up there and is still up there just chilling. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, so that that was a weird turn, and shortly before that, um, there's also a, not horribly graphic, but a a sex scene um, in which one of the things about Bo is that he, he cannot finish, or he's afraid he will die from his heart murmur, like his father and his grandfather, or so he's been told. So he never has, and so he's rather swollen. He has giant enlarged testicles the whole movie. And they do flash across the screen a couple times. Quite often. Um, but uh, he he is convinced to sleep with a, a childhood acquaintance of his who he's always fantasized about for the last 30, 40 years. Uh, and upon doing the deed, he finds out he doesn't die but she not only dies, but is frozen in a, and just stuck. Her knees are bent and like arms stuck where they are. And then some like people come in and carry her away. And she literally is just a rigid, like solid mannequin now. Yeah, it's very sexually graphic in a lot of ways. A lot of nudity, graphic, whatever. But <clears throat> yeah, the whole movie doesn't really... Like, I can't even explain to you how we got to that point. He starts in his apartment, and he's a very anxious man. Um, and I thought the way that the movie was going to go was that he's... Like, the way that the world worked was that it looks so bad and scary because he's so anxious. But then everything that he thought would go wrong does go wrong. Like... His a bunch of people break into well, first of all, he goes to his therapist who ends up being evil and working for his mother and telling her everything that he's ever said about her. And but before that, um, he's in his apartment and these people are like outside murdering people, there's just dead bodies in the streets. Then he gets all these notes from his neighbor that he has to turn his music down and then sleeps through his alarm. His keys get stuck in his door and then stolen from his door along with his suitcase so he can't go visit his mom. Everything's going wrong and then he gets locked out of the building and all these people break into his apartment, trash his apartment, kill someone. And then he finds out that his mother got crushed to death by a chandelier. And then he takes a bath, as you do when you find out your mother got crushed to death, I guess. And he looks up and there's just a weird man in his ceiling... And then a brown recluse crawls across his face. It's like literally everything that could go wrong goes wrong, but it doesn't at all correlate with anything. It just sends him, like Everett said, to the next place they need him to be for this story. Yeah, and I think this is where the bloated runtime comes in. I think the the point of that kind of first act of him in this city um, is that he is afraid and he sees everything as afraid and like 
yeah, we are seeing these horrible, horrific things happening, and there's the naked, stabby man and stuff running around, and he's being chased and all of this stuff, but he also is somewhat putting that into the world by coming into the scene running and afraid, and so these people are preying on that, because a lot of people are just walking around the streets completely normal. And so there is something he's bringing to it, potentially. And I think the idea is just this world he's created around him or is within around him has caused so much anxiety in his life. Yeah, and a lot of it does reflect back on his life because there's a scene where he's, like, walking down the street and this mom loses her child at a fountain and is screaming at him and stuff, which later is a scene with him and his own mom. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's very much a weird mix of in his head and the actual situation. And I don't think you'll ever know where that line falls. It's, it's not clear what is in his head and what is the actual events of the film. Um, but again, like back to why it's a bloated runtime. I think you could have gotten that across in 15, 20 minutes as opposed to 45 minutes. Yeah. But yeah. Then, you know, he leaves his apartment finally and gets hit by a car and stabbed and ends up in a house and it it seems like a whole different story once he enters the the second location yeah um but yeah he enters this house where nathan lane and amy ryan are a married couple with a daughter and a son who has passed away and they're kind of using Bo to fill that void to have someone to take care of um yeah and I think this kind of back to the the sort of odyssey metaphor would be kind of like that lotus eater where it seems all good and positive but then anytime he tries to leave something magically comes up that he can't get away and they're like oh no actually sorry this random thing just happened a guy got his head cut in half skiing and i've got to go sew it back together sorry um and so it's like oh is are they trying to keep him here? And he's being yelled at by the lawyer of his family uh, that they need to get back to bury his mother. Um, and so he's desperate to get back, but this family keeps trapping him there. Um, and I'm not sure if you caught this, uh, but at the end, when there's a, a portrait of his mother and the company she's built and all these workers pictured within it, Nathan Lane is one of those workers so he works mm. for Bo's mother and so there's probably that she's asked them to keep him here to see what he would do in this situation and often I feel that way throughout I'm not sure if I saw the lady in the green dress from the forest um, but then he very directly talks with the childhood acquaintance who he then sleeps with that she does almost certainly work for his mother and she doesn't know quite how to answer that question and stuff so i think there is a lot more control from the mother on the plot of this movie yeah um also she faked her death yeah <laughs> so to see what he would do to see if he cared yeah so eventually the daughter of the family he's staying with um keeps trying to get him to do things he's not supposed to do like smoke weed with her and her friend and all this kind of stuff and eventually she wants him to defile the room of her dead brother because she wants the attention she doesn't want to be neglected he can't be replaced by Bo, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff that's working up in her 
uh, and she ends up drinking a bucket of paint and dying. So yeah, I didn't really understand why the teenage daughter had a place there or what her character really was about. And I also didn't understand what she kept telling the weird man or what he was doing there either. Like I get why he was there because they explained it, but I don't get why he was there for the story. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up on this movie is why (laughs) why if you think of it as like a well somebody's going to chase him uh and put that physical pressure on him uh then that character makes sense uh and if you think of the daughter in terms of like uh i don't want to say like a temptress because she's not trying to sleep with him or anything but like somebody to kind of push him and his character you know he would not normally smoke he would not normally vandalize somebody's room and stuff yeah. like this. And so she's pushing that. That's all she's there for is to exacerbate that part of his character. And the ending is like, you know, this big jury case on why he's guilty and why he, everything he's done is wrong. So I guess in that case, like if the mom had showed a video of him smoking the weed and been like, you chose to smoke weed instead of coming to my funeral, it makes sense. But yeah, and just to go back a bit, kind of keep keep things moving in somewhat of chronological order as best we can. Um, so he, the daughter dies, mom, Amy Lane, freaks out, and so she's... Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan, sorry, thank you, and Nathan Na- Lane. Nathan Lane. <laughs> Gotta get those names straight. Um, so they're, you know, obviously upset that their daughter is now dead. They blame Bo because he was the only person in the room with her. Um, and so they send this weird man who's ex-military, knew their son or whatever, has severe PTSD. They send him off to go kill Bo. Um, and so Bo just starts running through the woods and eventually comes across this lady in a green dress uh, who's very pregnant. Yeah. Um, and she brings him to my favorite part of the film, a traveling theater company of orphans who just find go from wood to wood and set up and do one night of a play and then move to new new place and people are in weird costumes a man in a ladybug thing comes down and professes all these like profound statements sounding all authoritative and he's just a man in a like ladybug costume and it was really funny (laughs) which then you know somehow leads us to having an entire animated and cartoon and stage play montage of his whole life and what it could be yeah i i really love this part of the film this was probably my favorite part um and it would be because he likes weird artsy stuff so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he's he sits down to watch this play um and he starts to recognize himself within it and then suddenly is in it uh, and finds out this version of him goes on and finds a town and feels settled. Uh, ends up finding a beautiful wife who's the lady in the green dress and stuff. They have three kids together. It's all happy-go-lucky, but then a big storm comes and rips them apart. And he's journeying to try and get back to them and find where they are. And finally he gets back to them. And to talk more about the artsy, profound side of it... Um, there's this question of whether he's searching for them out, looking for them out of selfishness, uh, for his own 
needs and wants or if he's trying to find them to protect them and whether or not that's the way to have gone about it because the whole time I was kind of wondering like well why doesn't he just return to his town and see if they've made it back and he never does he keeps journeying and punishing himself through this horrible walk trying to find them and eventually they are just back at the town and I think that's there's something there that's really interesting and thought-provoking um about kind of selfishness and punishing ourselves for what we deem to be our misdeeds i just thought it was weird i don't know (laughs) yeah but then the funny bit of the ending is he talks about how he uh cannot climax in sex and it's like it's a problem my great-grandfather my grandfather my father and i have and then one of his sons goes but dad how did you have us? And then his face just kind of like drops and he's like, what? (laughs) And yeah, really just kind of a funny moment of levity at the end of this very profound artistic journey and the set design and the animation during that sequence. So cool. I really enjoyed it. It was like a stage play mixed with animation that just like goes on this massive epic journey around the world. But if a movie has good visuals, he'll forgive a lot of things for it. So (laughs) I think they were warranted. I think it was an interesting way to do that as opposed to just definitely talking about it. Um, But again, yes, there is probably, you know, it's a 20 minute sequence in the middle of the film. Could have been 10 or 15, you know, cut that down a little bit. Spend a little less time at Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan's house. Got the names right that time. Uh, you know, set the the film up a little bit quicker and we could get to the third act and still delve into as many things as he wants to delve into with, I think, just as much emotional weight. I guess really fourth act before the fifth act of the film. There are are a lot of acts. And then the military guy shows up, bombs the theater people, sends him running again, and then he ends up at his mom's house? Yep. So he's then on the run and ends up back at his childhood home and his mother's house and um, has kind of a quiet moment realizing it's not her, but we don't know that he's realized that. And that's one thing I will I will say. He finds out that it's not his mother. He's like, oh, I knew because of the... The birthmark on the hand, which I saw the birthmark, but I didn't think like, oh, I didn't that's not know. his mother. Yeah, because then we get a, then after this, we get a flashback to the maid who was a loving, caring influence in his childhood. And she had a birthmark on her hand and we're like, oh, that's cool. But we didn't know that as an audience. So the reveal came too late. Yeah. I think <laughs> there, there could have been for like, oh, if you were paying attention, you would have seen the nurse had a birthmark really big on her hand and then had one in the casket yeah i don't know yeah um and we do get a lot of flashbacks i think leading up to this they become more frequent as we get closer to the mom's house about kind of just the way the mom has acted their whole life his whole life um and it makes more sense why even though it seems like he's trying really hard to get back why he would be taking his time because She's very narcissistic, very emotional incest, just gross kind of mom. Yep. And there's um, some extended flashbacks to his time on a cruise with her, uh, which is where he meets Elaine, um, the 
childhood acquaintance who he ends up sleeping with at the end of the film um and their whole dynamic and again she's he's attracted to her because partially she looks like his mother a little bit um and I think that's definitely part of it but also she's very rebellious and headstrong and just does what she wants to do and pushes him and he kind of likes that and of course his mother hates that and she also makes decisions for him because Bo is unable to make any decisions in the whole movie that aren't made for him yeah he'll just freeze sometimes even to the point where he stands in one spot for an entire day yeah and she you know was like you have 10 seconds to kiss me when they're younger and like makes him promise to wait for her and he does never falls in love with anyone else because he's she's decided that he needs to wait for her yeah um and so then uh the elaine shows up at the house post funeral um and sees that Bo's there and that's when they then end up sleeping together and she dies and that's when his mother comes out and reveals herself and is like i watched that whole thing all like you're horrible and awful and then he goes downstairs and finds out his therapist (laughs) is on his mom's payroll and has been recording their sessions to send to her Uh, And as they talk about these things, about her potentially being narcissistic and controlling and damaging him uh, in his youth, she plays these back and uses them as a weapon against him. Like, how could you say this about your mother? I've given you nothing but unconditional love. Which is, like, messed up on so many levels. But also the fact that when he talks about it, he never says, I'm this way because of my mother. He basically is just like, well, she used to do this, this, and this. And the therapist would be like, so she's the one who's controlling you. She's whatever. And kind of putting the words in his mouth where he goes, yes. Yeah. And even to go way back, he has a therapy session at the beginning of the film. And the therapist is like, do you ever have thoughts of killing your mom? And he's like, what? No, like, no, not at all. Never. And he just like keeps pressing these things. And I was like, oh, that's weird for a therapist to do. And then upon reveal, he's trying to get Bo to say negative things so she can use this as ammunition against him. Yeah. And then, you know, he tells her that he used to imagine a boy who looked just like him, who was braver than him, who could stand up to her, but that she locked him in the attic. And she reveals that that was true. He had a twin brother who she locked in the attic along with his giant penis monster father thing yep yep and then he tries to kill his mother and then flees and flees ends up in a boat um and uh another another thing to go way back (laughs) to the beginning because a lot of this film is reflexive and you know callbacks to what happened earlier and that kind of stuff um the opening of the film is him being born from his eyes more or less thankfully not horribly graphic um and he's like not quite there or whatever and the doctors may have dropped him yeah and then they spank him to like get him to wake up and whatever and are just like kind of abusing him uh and that's kind of the start of his life and yet and and then from then everything has been hard and challenging and filled with anxiety and fears uh and so he gets on this boat and he's going and he finds a cave and it very much reminded me of like going back into the womb um looking for safety because it's the only place in his whole existence that he's ever been safe 
Uh, and then when he gets in there, it turns out it's a massive Colosseum trial of his life and his guilt. Um, and so, yeah, he arrives in this place and Richard Kind is playing the prosecution's lawyer. Um, and I'm not sure who is playing the defense at first. Because he was so small and far away yeah. and just was so. like a general 1-800 defense lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally it says that on a sign behind him. Uh, and so Richard Kind, I loved this. I thought he played it so well. Um, but he keeps pushing these things like, yeah, you know, this poor beggar was coming up to you on the street and you were sprinting away from him, refusing to help him, and yet you'll feed the fish at your doctor's office. Um, kind of turning these moments we saw earlier into proof that Bo is a bad person. The defense is like, well, no, no, he was scared or whatever. And then he's like, well, yeah, but you, you know, you bought this item for your mom and then you spend five minutes with this lady and you just, the pregnant lady in the woods, and you just give it to her, like... Where's your respect for your mother? But no, no, no. And then someone comes in, they shove the, the defense, defense lawyer, lawyer over the edge and, you drown know, him. Or Ari no. Aster yeah. loves his head trauma and his head gets squished on a rock. Yep. <clears throat> um, and yeah, and so then it just becomes Richard Kind basically monologuing of all of these reasons why Bo is the problem here and why those fearfulness and anxieties have caused all of these issues in his life as opposed to how it's kind of presented at the start of the film of this horrible world bringing them to Bo. Um, and then the boat flips and, and he drowns. drowns and then it's over. And that's the film. And I, I really think that third, I keep saying third act, that fifth act, is that what we're up to portion? I really, really enjoyed, um, again and thought it i had asked some interesting questions and made you reflect back on what you watched in the movie and try and decide for yourself is it Bo? is it his mother is it something else is it a combination thereof um what in this film was real what was in his head and it really just lays it at your feet and lets you you make that call yeah i guess yeah so i think if you took out some of the more unnecessary moments of the fourth act, namely the, the father being the monster the father is, um, I would want to revisit this film and, you know, watch it again from the beginning and see, see it through this new lens and knowing what's coming. Uh, but just because there are a few of those, those moments that go so far, um, beyond what you would normally expect uh we mentioned men earlier a quick spoiler for the next 30 seconds on men there is a turn in the third act of that one that just goes super graphic about birth and the man births a man who births a man who births a man in horrible detail and that ruined the movie for me again it's like oh i'd love to return to this it had some really interesting ideas and setup, and then it just undoes it all by choosing to push the boundaries and i think this film does that a little bit there's just a, a couple moments where i'm like i'm so uncomfortable watching this i don't find this funny i don't find it like traumatic enough to be like enlightening for the characters it's just gross yeah, for the sake of being yeah gross it feels excessive and just like you know 
Ari Aster is in a room like, no, no, let's just do it because, oh, it would be so crazy if we did. And yeah, it was crazy that you did this, but I think it also is going to hurt your film in the long run because even I, who really enjoyed large portions of it, doesn't want to watch it again because of two moments. Which is saying something because he hates horror movies, but he's watched hereditary and midsummer over and over again because yeah i've we seen think, each of those multiple times we think those ones are beautiful and amazing and great films yeah and so again like those have some really graphic moments both um sexually and violent wise violence wise and yet they're worth returning to because they they say a lot and the the moments of that fit the plot and work to advance the characters and feel necessary to tell the story whereas in this this film it really just felt a little self-indulgent excessive like oh i could get away with this so let's let's put this in my movie um yeah another thing is it's very star-studded cast they do have a lot of people in it but something that's both funny and frustrating is that i absolutely love bill Hader. i think he is one of the funniest people in this generation. I think he is just wonderful. And he's in the movie, but you'll never know because he just talks on the phone. And when it finally shows him during the news, he just faces away from the camera so you can't see his face. But I knew it was him and I love him. (laughs) Um, But everyone else, like we said, everyone plays their parts great. Nathan Lane is perfect for that part. Oh, he does it so well. I mean, he's so funny while also being like, in an uncomfortable situation you know what i mean and amy ryan i loved her in the office i think she's really cute i think she's super fun i think she played her part very well both the dramatic parts and being funny um yeah and as always joaquin phoenix is there's a couple moments joaquin phoenix does this thing where he's paralyzed by being forced to make a decision or say something that he knows will get him in trouble his whole like face goes red his eyes start to like twitch and water and it's not just like you know those moments where you're like okay actor we're gonna put some tear stick under your eyes and it's gonna make help your eyes well up and then you just kind of have to like cry through that and make the noises and the face like this is just him contorting his face into these moments of anguish and agony that are really impressive and reminded me um, a little bit of Florence Pugh in Midsummer and her incredible performance and just how Ari Aster can get these actors to do that over and over again for him is really impressive. Yeah. All right. What's your overall score? Uh, I'm going to give this... I'm so torn because those couple of moments really do hurt the film for me. So much of it I really did like and would love to return to. I'm gonna say I'm gonna be nice because it is just two moments that take up maybe five minutes of a three-hour runtime and give it an eight out of ten. Really? Yeah. Ooh. It's okay. You can say what you're gonna say. (laughs) So I do think it was well acted. I think it was very well made for what it was, but the more I think about it, the less I like it. And the thought of rewatching it again I, I don't think I could sit through it again. So in that way, I would have to give it a four for my own personal score. In far, in terms of like just a movie, maybe a six. But for my own, like the thought of returning to it makes me nauseous. 
I did not very much like it. <laughs> All right, that concludes our thoughts on Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Aster film. We are now going to move into Evil Dead Rise. Welcome back. I hit you with my car. What? I know. All right, so Evil Dead Rise, directed by Lee Cronin. This stars Alyssa Sutherland, Lily Sullivan, Morgan Davies, Nell Fisher, and Gabrielle Eccles. Um, this is... I'm trying to think of how to do this one without spoilers, too. Um, I guess let's start. It's the, the sequel to the 2013... Not really. I wouldn't it's really... not a direct sequel, but it's in that world, I would yeah. say. It's that iteration of Evil Dead. It's yeah. not the TV show. It's not the movies from... It's not like rebooting the, the classic movies. It's it's very much a continuation of that world. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much in the same like theme genre as the 2013 one. It's nothing like, I would say, the originals. Um and then the TV show very much leaned into the comedy factor, and this one is not comedy. So, <laughs> all right, this movie follows a mother and her three children who are coping with or coming to terms with the fact that she's now a single mother raising them. Um, and... Her sister comes to town to come back and visit after being on tour with a band. She's a, a guitar tech of some kind. Um, and there's a little bit of a strained relationship there. But it does come from a place of, of love first and then some more nuance to it later. And they're trapped in the apartment uh, after an earthquake uh, and evil dead ensues. Yeah. <laughs> they rise. They do be dead. Yep. Um, for this movie, I know there's a lot of horror movies that work for younger crowds. I would not... Someone brought their kid to it. That's why I'm saying this. I would not recommend this for children. No. Um, the language is bad. The gore is... This is probably the most graphic, goriest movie I have ever watched. Like, it goes beyond any war movie, Hacksaw Ridge situation any other horror movie i've seen i mean i've watched a billion horror movies so it's not the worst i've ever seen but it's i wouldn't bring my kid to it i wouldn't i probably wouldn't let someone watch it until they were like late teens <laughs> yeah and it's it's not even there isn't i mean there's plenty of moments that are really visceral and disgusting um but it's not like any one moment in it is so beyond anything I've ever seen. It's that it's relentless. Once Evil Dead has risen, there is... It stays rose. <laughs> it stays rose, and there's not too much in terms of, like, character development or growth, or it's just survival and watching these horrible, bloody, gore, horrific things happen to this family and the people around them in the apartment building yeah um i will say everett brought this up and i didn't really realize it at the time but <clears throat> it's different than the other ones in the way that it's like hopeless there's no way for them to win like 
it's it's just it's rough because it's like you really want to always have someone to cheer for and when you're watching a movie but yeah. this one it's like and even if they fail at least like you could see the path that leads them to success yeah but this one it was just like there's no way to win yeah and so it was just spending an hour and a half watching this family get slowly torn apart just to watch them slowly get torn apart as opposed to like see if one of them can figure out a way out of it and so i think that's what really didn't sit well for me in this movie i get horror movies are gory and violent and scary and jump scares and all of that kind of stuff but usually there is like that sense of like oh are they gonna be able to escape are they gonna get out of it and there's just that that sense doesn't exist in this film and so i was just like i don't want to watch this person suffer when i know the outcome yeah and we're not saying that like everyone dies in this movie because like that's not the case it's just that like the the message that it leaves you with is that no matter what evil dead will rise again basically which i get they're setting up for a franchisement and everything but it's just a little bit disheartening yeah and so you know we mentioned earlier like we like hereditary um i like it comes at night uh the shining i love all horror movies and i really really enjoyed this one so i'm not saying it's bad i just thought i'd bring up that point yeah i just wanted to say like there are horror movies out there i do like and even ones that don't end on a high or like ooh, they were able to win and get out of the situation like that's not what i'm looking for but it was really hard because it left no room for these characters to grow develop or use their personal cunning and skills to get out of anything yeah but i really enjoyed it i thought the gore was very well done he had to look away for most of the movie so you can you can tell it was well done gore it didn't look super cheesy or bad no it looked really they did a great job of combining practical effects with like augmenting with cgi so that they could do do some stuff that you would normally wouldn't have seen really in a movie and i was talking about this movie before we went to see it Um, And I was saying that my biggest issue with a lot of current scary movies or horror movies is that they make the villain, the bad guy, the creature, whatever, so cheesy looking with like the contacts and makeup. And this one had contacts and makeup, but I still think it was, I wouldn't say it's super scary, but it left such uncomfortable feelings during a lot of it. I was like sweating. I was nervous. I was, it was very well done. Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes to Alyssa Sutherland's physical performance. Um, yeah, she can deliver the lines and uh, cry and be funny and sweet when she's the mom and creepy when she's not. Um, but, like, her just, she embodies this character in a way that with a, a lesser performance, this could have gone into kind of cheesy. There were definitely a few moments. I even kind of laughed because it does slightly stray into the ridiculous a few moments. Um, and But that's very Evil Dead. Yeah, I feel exactly. Like. <clears throat> it's very on brand. It's very gory. It's very traumatic. Uh, performances across the board pretty good. The filmmaking across the board is actually really good. There are some really clever shots and some good uses of practical effects. And yeah, so 
They did a couple of those weird things, weird shots where it's like a close-up on the person's face while there's like the people behind them. Oh, I, the, the split focus where one really close to camera and the people in the background are both in focus. They do this in Us. They've done it in Slow West. They, I mean, it's, it's everywhere I don't really now. like those. I think they're kind of weird, but that's really my only like on the filmmaking side complaint because I think it was very well made for yeah. a film. No, it was a very well made film and to that point of the split focus it it just it reminds me of a slightly more artsy looking version of like a spy movie when the lines go across the screen and like people that like walk two paths and then it splits the screen in half and or whatever or having a phone call and there's like you're bringing in five friends and they're just like divided by a line on the screen it's essentially that and my issue with that is i don't know where my eye is supposed to look and it takes me out of the film yeah i go oh weird why are we looking at both of these things in focus this just looks weird to my eyes it's just like i'll be really involved and then i'll be like oh i'm watching a movie right when that pops up yeah and it just yeah i don't know the mother is giving some creepy smiles and stuff and i'm like oh i'm supposed to be looking at that and her kind of sinister vibe around there but I'm at the same time being shown the reactions of the family. I'm like, oh, well, I have to take the time to look at each of their faces and see how they're reacting to the situation. And it's a little bit of like, could you not decide which one you wanted to show? Or, you know, show her face, then pan over to them or have her towards camera rack focus. But yeah, besides those couple shots with that weird focus, I, I do think it's such a well-made movie. Um yeah should we move in into into spoilers yeah i think so okay uh so yeah this movie follows the mom and her three kids there her husband recently decided to leave them the sister comes to visit um there's an earthquake and um so their child uh he jumps down a hole and their apartment's built on like an abandoned bank it seems like um, and he finds the Book of the Dead, accidentally pricks a finger and bleeds onto it, um, and so it opens for him, and he had stolen these records that Just read... to interject real quick, he pricks his finger because it has these, like, spikes that look like a mouth. It's kind of like the Harry Potter book. Yeah. And I kept waiting for that moment when someone's hand was going to get slammed in the book and the spikes were going to go through it, and it never came. I just, I really... They kept showing close-up shots as they're leafing through the pages of the spikes. I'm like, oh, here it comes. They're going to get their hand caught. Nope. Never happened. He just pricks his finger a little bit at the beginning, and and that's about it. Yeah. Um, And then these records read the chant that brings the evil dead to life. The mom gets possessed. She projectile vomits for... As per evil dead. As per evil dead for a hot minute. Yeah, there was a lot of vomit that came out of her. Yeah, and then just the violence ensues, and it's just go, go, go violence for pretty much the rest of the film. Um, really right up until, like, the last moment. Yeah. Uh, I heard somewhere that it had a really great cold open for this movie, where the two girls and the guy are at the cabin by the lake, and... First of all, I can't take someone getting killed by a drone seriously. That's so stupid to me. Um, I did not like the cold open. I don't think it had anything to do with the movie. I don't think it was necessary. I get that they were trying to open and show that it was going to be a really violent movie with her scalping her cousin. 
Um, I also didn't like that. This has nothing to do with that. I just didn't like that every character in this movie called their, you know, she called her cuz or her sister sis. And I'm like, I get that you're trying to establish what your relationship is, but it's a weird thing to do and nobody does that in real life. And I didn't like that part. But yeah, I found the cold open really unnecessary and random kind of. Because then at the end of the movie, the girl it shows that the girl got possessed. But it doesn't have any... I don't know. I just yeah. thought it was weird. I loved the picture of like the title of the movie over the mountains and stuff. It's very horror movie-esque. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the cold open, it, it basically is an Evil Dead movie, like a short film. It's almost like a very high-budget fan film. Where it's people in a cabin, one of them gets possessed, they start killing each other. Yeah, and I'm sure that's probably going to be the sequel when they come out with one. Is going to be based around those people. Uh, <coughs> I don't even know. I don't even know if it's going to be based around them. So much as just like they wanted to make sure this possession was still out there. So they didn't have to go through once again the book opening yeah. it like i think they're like "Ooh, how can we that's kind of a hurdle that feels very cheesy in all of these movies somebody has to be dumb enough yeah. to let the spirits out or whatever it is the demonic possession happen and so i think they're kind of just looking for like well now it's happened and it's out in the world now and you can't put it back so we can do as many of these movies wherever we want whenever we want yeah and that's kind of what we were trying to go over in the non-spoiler section is with the dead things the evil dead things in the other movies it's like oh if you burn them with fire they'll die oh if you bury them they'll die all this stuff but with this one it's like no matter what you do even if you rip them apart you can't kill it yeah the the kind of exposition plot device is the um the records the records that he finds um and he is like a into djing and whatnot so it makes sense or whatever and of like opening the book so much and leaving through that i'm always like i just personally wouldn't do that but playing the record and then he tries to stop it but it won't stop because it's already started or whatever um and won't let him take it off uh, I thought that worked well for it to not be, I mean, him going down there in the hole and continuing to go and find them and whatever and grab it out of like a tomb or whatever was really. Everett wouldn't do that. If I looked down and there was a hole in my garage that led to another bank vault, I also would jump down and look for things because I find that super cool. But yeah, I would not. And so those, <laughs> those it's the classic horror movie thing of it will never happen if people just left um and you know acted slightly more rationally they don't know that they're in a horror movie <laughs> yeah but you were just in an earthquake you're not gonna jump into an open hole <laughs> i would stop you um but yeah anyway so they play on the 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 record uh and it also then the the sister sorry i was just gonna say before we move on to the what the people say on the record um I did like that better than the 2013 version where that horrible man just keeps reading from the book while all this awful stuff is happening. And I thought he was so stupid and he should have been the first to die. And this one, like Everett said, it makes more sense why everything gets read and stuff like that. Yeah. And so then the, uh, 
the sister who travels back to be with them uh, listens to to the final record later in the film and the the guy who discovered this version of the book and has previously unleashed the spirits or whatever uh, is like oh no I've tried burning them and they just danced in the fire I tried full body dismemberment and they just came back and no matter what I do and it's just like it feels hopeless and then I also question why did he have to open the book and prick his finger for this to all start if they weren't defeatable so clearly that priest either stopped them or now there's two spirits out there possessing like it that just felt a little like not you, thought through yeah you're saying that there was nothing i could do to stop them over a hundred years ago and now you've just unleashed them for the first time yeah and it's like wait what yeah um yeah, I'll agree with that. That's kind of weird. So, again, there's room in the sequels to explore this. Maybe the two spirits will fight each other atop a mountain in an epic clash yeah. in the eighth movie. But it's like, I don't even know how they're gonna ever move on or defeat them if even putting them through, like, the wood chipper thing and disintegrating them entirely doesn't do it. I also am unsure how it passes from person to person, and I told Everett this because, like, the way it gets to the daughter is because the mom tattoos on her face or, like, scratches her with a tattoo needle and then gets blood in it or whatever, but, or, like, stabs herself and then stabs the teenage daughter, but then the aunt gets cheese grated on the leg, which is just my nightmare, and then the like bandage around her legs completely blood soaked but she doesn't get possessed so i don't quite understand yeah she ends up head to toe entirely soaked in blood and she has been cut and scraped and beat up this whole film and yet is totally fine and same yeah. with the daughter who has like a bloody nose and stuff yeah the youngest one um so yeah there's just there's a few things where it's and I mean, this this happens in these types of movies where it's like, well, we want to do this. We want to, you know, you don't want to have them go through completely unscathed because they can't get blood in them. But at the same time, you only want it to possess who you want it to possess. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, so then at the end, the kind of pre-finale finale, the finale of the fight with this particular story um I know it's Evil Dead and the chainsaw and whatever, <laughs> but it was so on the nose, just like, I'm sure there are Evil Dead fans who stood out of their seats and cheered when they saw a chainsaw or whatever. It but... was me. I was that. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it was just like, yeah, you can have the hero shot of the chainsaw right at the start or whatever and be like, oh, it's going to be the chainsaw time and then use it. But then there's like literally, I, th I swear it holds on the chainsaw for like 10 seconds and then she comes over to pick it up. And I'm like, why are we just staring at a chainsaw because right now? Because the chainsaw's the main character, babe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, that was whatever. But the main bigger thing I wanted to talk about with that, the weird combo human. So there's a page <laughs> in the Book of the Dead that shows a mashup of all these people kind of jammed arms sticking out of wherever and whatnot. And so all of the family members that had been killed prior uh, to the um, sister and the daughter 
come together and form one weird creature thing. Which seems silly because had they all been separate, they could have definitely won. You know, put yeah. one in each corner and beat them up. I don't know. Yeah, it it felt weird because it felt far less powerful than they were before. It also, um, the the sister had been able to escape through like a little or through the garage door thing, but then it locked, and so she had to come back through through this great thing. If they had remained separate, they all could have gone that way and gone out into the world, but because they've combined, they'll now have been stuck there. Yeah. At least through that exit. And so it just, and it, it looked a little goofy. I think they tried their best to hide it in shadows and blood and not, you know, highlight too much of it, but it was easily the worst-looking effect of the movie i would say and partially because it's so based in nonsense as opposed to like a knife through somebody's arm yeah a lot of that is cg but it looks good because we all know what knives look like and we know what arms look like and can imagine what that would look like however somebody who's walking on six arms and has legs sticking out their sides and three heads is a little less (laughs) easy to make look realistic yeah I really overall liked it, though. Yeah. So. But so then she, yeah, she chainsaws it and shoves them into the wood chipper and they all get separated. The other weird thing, so then the girl from the beginning of the movie comes down and is leaving and realizes there's all this blood or whatever and gets possessed. But not from the blood, not like, oh, there was a finger they missed that like inches its way over and scrapes her leg and she then gets it in her the the wind classic evil dead thing just comes from left field and possesses her so i'm like wait and it doesn't even do that thing like the mom gets grabbed in the elevator by the wires just like in the 2013 one with the tree luckily with less rape which is nice because that was a lot a lot um but it doesn't nothing grabs that girl like if she had been running over to see what it was and fell and scraped her knee and got the blood in it you know something yeah but it was just like now she's possessed Woo, the end yeah i really thought it was going to be like there was a hand that was left out or something along those lines that was able to to scrape her but instead no she just magically and i mean oh it's magic but like because they want her to be possessed she gets possessed and then that kicks off the cold open of the film and you know they'll probably try and argue oh well it's you know call back from beginning to end but i feel like that doesn't really count when you choose the last event to go first and then just say a day earlier and show us completely unrelated characters that we have no idea no idea how this is going to play into the larger story. And also, did she get possessed and then drive all the way there? Because the mom got possessed really fast, and I don't... Like, if I was that demon, why would I go pick up my cousin and my boyfriend and drive clear out to a cabin with no one else around? If I was that demon, I'd be out in the world killing everyone. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so, I think, you know, all in all, well-made film and written well enough. I think there's just a few things that they had to do to set up the sequels they inevitably want to make yeah but all right what is your score out of 10 um for my own personal movies i would give it like a six and a half in term of scary movies horror movies i'd give it 
an eight. I, for me, this is a one out of ten. <laughs> I mean, maybe a two because it is well made, but I there's nothing about this that I enjoyed. It made me sick to my stomach. I didn't want to watch this. There wasn't anybody to root for because they're all doomed. Even though two of them survived, the demons are still out there and their whole family's been murdered. There's no any... And it's not like then they get possessed and die or whatever or fail trying to do the one thing that could have stopped. It's just it's just suffering for the sake of suffering. It, it went too far for me. It, Again, to be fair, he had his eyes covered for half of the movie. Yeah, because it's <laughs> half of, over half of the movie is just gore. And, I like gore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so if that's your thing, you will like this movie. But I... I only want to watch that if it furthers the characters and these characters do not change from minute one they enter the film. They are the, they just scream more and have more blood on them. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what a horror movie is for a lot of them. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, in my own personal sense, just because I for some reason when I watch a movie I latch onto it and rewatch them over and over again forever and this is not one that I'd like rewatch but it is one that I'd be like oh I have a bunch of friends over like I'll make them watch it whatever so in terms of like scary movies I'd give it an eight mom mommy's with the maggots now Okay, thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Nerd and Normie and tune in every Monday to hear our thoughts. Yeah, and a special shout out. This is the first episode with, episode with music. So thank you to my good friend Jonathan Vanderhorn from uh, New Zealand. Went to film school with him. Great guy. Uh, hope you enjoyed the music. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Bye.